Welcome everyone to Studio Soundtracks, the monthly program that takes listeners behind the scenes of making music for film and television. I'm your host, Chandler Poling. On today's show, we are spotlighting one of my favorite things on the planet, musical theater, and how it's made its way onto TV this season and throughout. Uh, We have two examples from uh, The Marvelous, Mrs. Maisel, and Ginny in Georgia today. Musicals have always been a big part of my life from early school days to receiving a bachelor's in arts and theater and drama. So I'm a big fan of musical theater. It's an absolute pleasure to welcome onto the show Thomas Miser, Curtis Moore, Lily Hayden, and Ben Bromfield. Welcome, everybody. Thank you. Such a pleasure. Yeah, such a pleasure to have you all. Thomas and Curtis, professionally known as Miser and Moore, have been writing original songs for the Amazon series The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel for the past three seasons, with its fifth season being the big finale. The final season called upon Miser and Moore to write an industrial musical within the storyline and provide an era-appropriate group of songs to tell story and build comedy. Lily Hayden and Ben Bromfield have been writing the original score to Netflix top series Ginny and Georgia for the past two seasons, but this recent one challenged them to write a high school musical called Wellington inside the season two storyline. So I'm going to start with a general question. Has musical theater always been a part of your lives? And let's start with Miser. <laughs> uh, it, it is had been a part of my life since the, like as far back as I can remember I think I fell in love with it mainly through film, though, at first. Um, I'm a military brat, and so going to the theater was not a huge part of my life as a kid. But uh, I would sit and watch the Muppet movies and West Side Story and be obsessed. And I would sing along to the Annie soundtrack. Somewhere out there, there was a recording of me like at eight years old singing tomorrow. So uh, you can blackmail me if you find it. I was obsessed with Annie also, by the way, over and over and over. Yes. <laughs> we should meet up and do a little our own version. Totally. <laughs> I'd, I'd pay money to see that. That's for sure. <laughs> Anybody else want to chime in on if musical theater has been a part of your life? I mean, 
similarly to me, it, it's I grew up with it. I mean, I, the first the first show I saw, it was like the two first two shows I saw were Joseph and the Amazing Town of the Color Dreamcoat, and then I also saw the touring production of that that timeless classic Starlight Express, which uh, you know I just fell in love with it. It was amazing, and I, I think uh, I've always loved telling story through songs, and that's I'm just obsessed. Yeah, I, I've always I've felt uh, as a um, pianist who sort of has a jazz accompaniment background that musical theater has basically been following me throughout my entire career. And it's always frequently until now been a thing that I've done sort of on the side, uh, writing comedy songs with friends. <laughs> Even further back, I remember my parents used to play it in the house when I was a really little kid. I have this super old memory of my brother and I. Um, the West Side Story, you know, the, there's like the knife fight that sequence, dance sequence. My brother and I, like when we were really little kids, like essentially play knife fighting while listening <laughs> in the living room growing up. When I was a little girl, I would go to the library and check out albums, actually. Uh, and I don't know how I got turned on to musical theater, but I ended, I think it was Annie, it was the entree. Um, but I would check out albums and I would listen to them over and over and over and over. And my mom, who was a comedian, actually the one of the inspirations for Mrs. Meisel, um, Mrs. Maisel rather, um, uh, and uh, her name was Lotus Weinstock. She had been on Broadway and she had played Anybody's in West Side Story. And wow. she was, uh, she spent a lot of time doing summer stock and off Broadway and then Broadway. Um, and she, by the time I got, I discovered musical theater, she was over it and thought it was just, you know, she was barely tolerating it. And then when I launched into uh, Gary, Indiana, Gary, Indiana, Gary, Indiana, <laughs> let me tell you once again, um, over and over and over, it, I think she almost <laughs> exploded. Um, but, and I think then because she didn't think it was cool because she was a singer songwriter herself uh i sort of ended up growing out of it but i but actually with uh the task of writing this musical theater for jenny and georgia i discovered that it was actually a part of myself that i had repressed <laughs> and then i actually love it so i like i became a child again and started like it it, it actually it, it reignited a, a, a love and a, I think a talent that I had forgotten that I had. We've lured you both back to the dark side. We've lured <laughs> you to music theater. <laughs> Following me. Now it caught me. Finally. Amazing. Well, I want to know what is the first musical that kind of made a big impact on you? I know we all have like our memory, maybe of the first ones that, that kind of influenced mine being uh uh, Phantom of the Opera was like the first one I saw, but I think it was Rent that really kind of made me love musical theater. So I'm just curious from you guys, what what's the what's the musical that really made an impact on you? Uh, I'll jump in. Uh, uh, there was uh, for me, it was the, it was a one two punch when I was like 14 or 15. I got a, I heard someone gave me a cassette tape bootleg copy of Into the Woods. Um, by Stephen Sondheim, and then I saw a production of Little Shop of Horrors, and those two shows together, it was like I could see that there was someone called a lyricist for the first time with both those shows. And as someone who loved words and loved uh, loved musicals, I saw there was a place for what I wanted to do in it, and I still go back to those two shows to inspire me when I'm writing lyrics. Oh my God, they're so good. I mean. Those shows are, are such a great combination. <laughs> I'd, I'd like to see that in rap. No, I um for me um 
I, I, I grew up, you know, in a tech family. My dad was a scientist. My mom was a med tech and I was going to be in a, a, I studied electrical engineering at school, but I was obsessed with, with, with musicals and, you know, listened. I sort of started off like you Chandler with like Phantom of the Opera and sort of Andrew Weber things. And then once I sort of got into Sondheim, I was like, what was I thinking? He's so genius. Sondheim is everything. And kind of got obsessed through all through college. But it wasn't until like I went to, I got to New York and my first year or second year in New York, a friend of mine told me to go see this show playing at Playwrights Horizons called Floyd Collins which was um, and it's written by Adam Gettle, who is Richard Rogers' grandson. And I remember being so blown away by this show, I, the score, the story, just how, how much it spoke to me that I bought tickets to see it again the next night because I was like, how did this work? How did they do this? And I remember being so moved by it. I almost, I mean, at the time I went home and I thought, why am I even working in theater if like someone can already do that? Like, I can't do that. That is so, you know, we all those insecurities we have as young artists. I just remember thinking it was both good and bad. It's still one of my favorite shows. And it's sort of then I turned that around and it inspired me to really be, get better at my craft. But that show really, really was incredible. Um, I, uh, I have a, a memory of the first Broadway show I ever saw was actually how to succeed in business without really trying, which was starring John Stamos at this time. My and mom was in that also. She was in the movie version, actually. Right. What? Your wow. mom is royalty. What are we even talking about? Oh, us? No, this is amazing. Um, and, uh, I think for me as like a weird little jazz kid, that, that was, uh, <laughs> that was something that opened my eyes to like what musical theater could be at the time. Um, and then also similarly, similarly to Tom, uh, Into the Woods is a major influence on me because I was, uh, actually music directing that in high school. I went to a very theater heavy high school in uh, the suburbs of Boston, uh, where all the, all the shows were student directed. So I music directed Into the Woods and like, I mean, Love Affair with Sondheim was born right there. He's one of my favorite composers of all time. Uh, he's, he was an absolute genius. And the way that show is constructed, I mean, I don't need to tell anybody in this, in this uh, room that uh, it's just, you know, it's, it's so intricate and beautiful and clever. It's like everything that I would ever want a musical to be. Yes. Uh, it works on so many levels. And that's even before you consider all of the amazing compositional work that's in there. It's just it. And so that absolutely inspired me. That was when I was a senior in high school. Uh, and and I, I, I carry that influence with me in all all composition I do uh, for my whole career, for sure. And if I can just add to that, Ben, um, uh, one of the things that I love about what we were able to do for Jenny and Georgia is that Ben took that, um, his arrangement of that score, of, of, that, of that show, and brought it to Jenny and Georgia because in high school you have to compose for, uh, you know, just the people who can play in your school. And so we had this kind of slightly alternative uh, ensemble that we did to reflect that high school uh, arrangement for, for our musical. Amazing. Yeah, that actually was one of my questions for you guys on uh, Ginny and Georgia is if you guys thought about that high school musicals tend to not have a big ensemble, you know, like performing for the students. So if you while you were arranging them, if you were thinking in the limitation of the high school pit band. Absolutely. And that was the really fun part. So it sounds just a little bit, it sounds unique, and which is something that I love. And that's thanks to Ben's uh, real life experience. Amazing. 
Yeah, you know, and we, I want to spend I want to spend time just geeking out with you about the that score and those orchestrations, and then I, I similarly I music directed that show too, and just getting into that score is one of my favorite scores of all time. Oh, so good. Yeah, I mean, I I remember specifically when I was working on that, uh, we didn't have an oboe player, even though it was in the score, so we had to figure out a way to represent some of the lines. Uh, you know, with the piano or something like that. You know, we had an extra key. We had room for a second keyboard for a guy playing percussion cues with the keyboard and stuff. And I mean, that's sort of like, it's like that unique sound you get from a from a high school pit band where like not everybody plays every instrument. So you're sort of limited there. Yep. Well, yeah. I want to get into some of the music that you guys have written. And the first up one up I'm going to play is Marriage is a Dungeon from Ginny and Georgia. So let's hear it. You think you know, but you don't know. You'll never know just how the world really works. You'll only get hurt. I'm telling you this right now. Is a dungeon, is a dungeon, love is just a weapon, is a weapon, beauty's an illusion, an illusion, someday you'll be just like me. You think you know, but you don't know, you might be cute right now, but time travels fast, pretty don't last, I'm telling you this right now. Marriage is a dungeon, is a dungeon, love is just a weapon. up with this song how did it come about uh, well the creators of the show wanted to have this musical that was sort of influenced by victorian england kind of a bridgerton-esque vibe uh, they wanted the kind of classic jane austen romance but they also wanted themes of feminine empowerment um, and they needed this villain song so uh it sort of it was a bit daunting at first and then i uh uh, but but we knew that you know we we had to have a love song we had to have a villain song it had to be a little twisted and this kind of confluence of of you know old timey uh, you know aesthetic with with these modern themes of of feminism um, so marriage is a dungeon was you know uh, all right to be honest it was the last thing that my grandmother's evil older sister said to me before she died, she leaned in, she said, marriage is a dungeon. And I always remembered that. And then it reminded me of, it, that came to me when we were thinking about um, 
these themes and how you know you want to give in to love but you don't want to lose yourself and uh and these themes run through the the show so the what i love about this musical is that it's not just uh it's not just a musical within a show it's it actually reflects the themes that are carried through the both seasons of the show which is kind of you know who are you without you know without being defined by a relationship who are you without being defined by really fitting into one uh you know racial uh, category or another um it's these are complicated characters and so marriage is a dungeon was sort of in a way reflected that were well, you guys uh writing music and lyrics for all the songs in the in the wellington musical absolutely yeah any other great stories about uh, dying family members whispering lyrical ideas to you? I'll take that as a no. <laughs> well, as a matter of fact, when we get to the Maisel songs, my dying grandfather's words <laughs> about a trash man. We're just just waiting for it. <laughs> The, the truth is, though, that marriage is actually a dungeon for most women around the world and historically has been. So senses, you know, as the as the, the sole woman on this uh, panel, uh, you know, it really is a kind of a, a theme, you know, a, in terms of our feminist sort of, you know, our feminine empowerment uh, theme throughout our seasons. Um, and I love that both of our shows are about, you know, uh, strong women who are complicated. Absolutely. I mean, that's always been the centerpiece and what we love is just, uh, and it comes from the top, you know, our show is uh, Amy Sherman Palladino's creation and it's amazing having her as a boss. She's so brilliant. Oh my God. Yes. I have a question just about uh, the process of writing songs, especially these kind of musical songs. I always think of this moment in uh, Disney's 101 Dalmatians where they say that melody comes first and then the lyrics. Is this a, a model that you follow or how do you guys go about writing songs? Because to me, it's a mystery. It's it's always magical and I don't know how it gets made. I know we're always like, which comes first, the music or the lyrics? And we're like, the idea. No, we're, I mean, uh, I don't know how, how you guys how, do it, but for Tom and I, I mean, we're lucky that we've been working together for uh, a long time. <laughs> I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'm stretching my face a long time. Um, and, uh, you know, we have a shorthand, but, but we always start with the, with the idea of the song. Like what is a song? A song should tell a story. E even the simplest pop song should tell some kind of story, right? So you want to know what's going to happen in that song and how it's going to work and where you're going to begin and where you're going to end and what's it about. And generally, once you figure out what's a, what it's about, that's kind of your hook, right? You're like, what is the song about? It's about, you know, you know, love or what, you know, whatever you're going to write this song, it's about trash or it's about kitchens. So, you know, you kind of, you kind of, you, we, we start with a hook and it's usually a conceptual hook. It might, it's, it's, you know, usually at that point we'll sort of maybe set that hook. We'll be like, okay, well, we now we've got this title and maybe the hook sort of sounds like this. And then we really just organically go from the front and behind. We're like, does the hook begin the chorus? Does it end the chorus? Does it begin the song? And we sort of really unravel it as a piece from that. But it, it's never one or the other um, with us. The lyric and the music really do happen kind of at the same time. I mean, there's exceptions. There's been moments where I've sent Tom an entire song that's just music. And he has sent me an entire stanza that has had no music at all to it but i could probably count tom right on on one hand the amount of times that's happened it's exceptionally rare most of the time it is a back and forth back and forth one draws the other forward a little more and and 
Yeah. And, and since we're both on different coasts, you know, I, I, I know you guys do this too, but like, we're not, we're constantly zooming and so we've been zooming before zooming was cool. And we're like, you know, sending each other thousands of versions of each song we write. So if you looked at our iTunes library, it's just like, you know, it's like your personal trash can man, you know, this date and then this date. And it might only be like two notes different. We just changed the hook a little bit or, oh, I just sped the tempo up a little bit. Or we add, we took, we cut out a whole section. And it, it's, it's hilarious. My, it's, my, our house is filled, but you cannot shuffle play my iTunes or you will go, go crazy. <laughs> It's a very iterative process. It's constant iteration. We do it with this one, you know, the marriage of the dungeon, this one. No, this one, really, this one. This one, <laughs> plus this one. Um, yes. <laughs> much more organized than I am. Uh, yeah. But uh, uh, Ben, you want to go? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that it, it's fairly similar with us as far as the, the things being born together. I will say because Lily comes from a vocalist uh, a background as a vocalist um i think that the melodies certainly sound nicer when they're coming from her like as they're <laughs> and so like sometimes i feel i feel like uh you know she might have a little bit of like the 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 germ of the idea of when we're getting together and then we just sort of babble it out with like the some of the lyrics or some lyrical ideas um, and, you know, we're sort of sing, sing, talking them and then slotting certain things in and then and then rewriting it. I mean, I wouldn't necessarily disagree with the person who says the melody comes first, because for me, at least like sometimes half of the lyrics are gibberish when the melody is being created. And then and then the lyrics sort of get refined in. And and so uh, I, maybe I'd say a, a finished melody. It usually comes about first before finished lyrics, because I, I feel like we were tweaking lyrics a lot. Um, Lily and I were able to do these in the room together, which was great, because even though we both live in the Los Angeles area, we're pretty far apart. And if anyone knows anything about Los Angeles, that can certainly make you feel like you're in different cities. Uh, <laughs> Um, trying to drive across here, but also uh, but being in the room together allows us to sort of jam on these ideas. And because we both come from these highly improvisational backgrounds and we're both sort of jamming type people, um, we kind of jammed them out together. Do you have anything to add, Lily? Uh, yeah, I just love, uh, I mean, improvising is really my favorite thing in the world. So uh, when we're in the room together, we're just, it's kind of like this electric ping pong match uh, of sorts. Um, I, I come from, I make a lot, I've made a lot of solo records as a as an artist. And uh, so I've been writing songs, not in the musical theater genre for 20 years, actually. Um, and usually the way that that will come about is I'm a, I, I started out as a violinist, so which is my my main instrument. Um, so melody is really just sort of like like how I it's really my first language. I will be literally like walking from here to the bathroom or washing my hands or changing the, you know, cleaning the cat litter box or something. And then there's like a, a certain rhythm or a feeling and everything kind of takes on a melody in a way. Um, so these ideas just sort of like swirl around in my head and then certain melodic melodies sort of sound like certain words and certain words sound like certain melodies to me. And it's kind of like a synesthesia in a way, like just life is music. It, this is a lot more sort of airy fairy than you guys are much like more skilled or probably you know or like you know you're you you guys can 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 nail it down mine is really like this kind of ethereal swirl that kind of like 
I, I just have to open myself up to it. Once I start thinking about a character, I think about the like the the way they breathe, the way they the way they talk, the way they um, you know the the way they chew their food has a rhythm and a gait and a melodicism to it, uh, and that's really where my my inspiration comes and then I, I fill in the rest of the lyrics but melody and like it's usually a hook a melodic hook that that is the genesis of most of that um and that's how uh, I have written all the songs I've written in my life that's so beautiful the way the way you describe it is just so poetic and awesome because so often sometimes I mean I'd like to say that we do we have those moments too but sometimes it's just like Tom we've got one day we've got to write three songs go you know what I mean and but the truth is we're doing similar things right I mean we're using those skills that we've grown and, and used over the years but also I think you said it so beautifully I always talk about you know everyone's like how do you get inspired I'm like well Sometimes you don't have time to get inspired, right? You just have to write something, right? You have to get sit down and do it. But the truth is we're constantly being inspired. There's inspiration floating around you all the time. And here you talk about that, that, you know, Lily, the way you talk about that is exactly how it feels. Like if you put your hand up right now, you're going to grab a piece of inspiration out of the ether and make something really great or maybe something really crappy, but you'll make something out of it. If you don't grab it now, that is gone forever. Like yeah. it will never come back. But that's fine because tomorrow when you put your hand up, something else is going to, it is always something there. You just have to get it and go with it and start. And I, I mean, the way, you, you know, I, I think we are slightly more pragmatic when we talk about it, but it doesn't mean, I, I feel the same way you're saying, you know what I'm saying, Tom? Because I mean, Tom will often go for long walks where it just, he, you know, he's, he suddenly everything becomes clear when he like is three blocks away. He's like, I've got it. I've got it. You know, he'll text back to me and it's just, it is. I am I am Heathcliff on the moors. I'm yeah. always wandering and yeah. whispering things into a tape recorder. How many uh, how many voice memos of melodic ideas do you have on your oh, thing? So many, so many blackmail things. It's so funny. It's just so we have so many things we've sent back and forth. We're just like half songs, like it's something, something, and a good hook here. You know what I mean? Like we're like we just throw ridiculous things back to us. And Tom's like, it's something rhythmically, something like this. And he'll give me some. And then the it's very, we literally could go for, it, 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 it would be so exciting only to Tom and I and no one else, but mostly it would be torture to everyone else. <laughs> Isn't it funny how the voice memos have changed? I don't know if you guys iPhone have iPhones where it just says your address now. So now I have all these voice memos. That, <laughs> my address one, my address two, my address yes. Like, yes i mean i kind of I, I like that because they're like trying to help us out with it because yeah. you, you know you, you go so fast sometimes you don't you know you know you don't i try so hard to be like okay this is mmm for marvelous mrs mazel colon 504 but it never it ends up just being like you know 357 Man. west 56th street and you're like oh i was must have been walking down the street there when i put this one down you know yeah absolutely it's hilarious I have about 2000 voice memos, most of which I still have not transcribed and uh, and mined the gold from, um, assuming there's any gold there to be gotten. But uh, yeah, well, I, 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 we should write a song right this second. We should. Let's do it. I mean, well, also, do you guys find, okay, I have a question. Speaking of that, can I ask you, because everyone, you know, we have people that talk about their trunks and like pulling things out of that. Let's go back to this inspiration we had and put... Tom and I have never really been able to do that. Like we, you know, it's true that for like, you know, every song that we write for Maisel that's on the show, we probably have written like three or four others just for options and make, you know, it's, we find it's a lot easier for 
for people to talk about what exists than to be like, talk about music when it doesn't exist. So we're like, here's like, here's three versions, which one is in the direction. Great. And, you know, but, but then invariably we're like, you know, we'll save those. And we have all these songs from these musicals that we never are going to do, but we'll use those songs somewhere else. And every time we try to do that, we pull them out and then we end up writing a totally different song, new song anyway. Like we never can seem to use our trunk songs. I, I think because, and it's kind of like you were talking about Lily, it's that as pragmatic as we can sound, we, we always work from story. And so the rhythm of a song and the internal workings of a song are often related to a character. And so they yeah. can't just so easily be just like lifted and plopped into another show. It's not 1930 and you can drop a new Rodgers and Hart song in six different shows because it's just a Rodgers and Hart song. It's not about a character. And I love Rodgers and Hart. That's no slam on them. But <laughs> the, you know, it's, it's just so hard to reuse the songs because they had such a specific inspiration purpose. Yeah. Well, that's what we love about this musical is that we really are capitulating themes through throughout and it does further the character development and uh, and it is, uh, you know, there are romances that are fomented in these lyrics and uh, and uh, and the, the themes of, you know, the, the, of conflict and uh, and and aspiration are all explored. So it's uh, I love being. This is what I love. Uh, why I actually have sort of pivoted. I mean, I'm still I still think of myself as a recording artist and performer and all that. But I I I love having pivoted to more to writing songs for uh, for film and television because it really is. You get your inspiration from a living, breathing being. Uh, that tells you what it wants to say. It tells you, you know, and if you really, I actually started out as an actress. Um, so I was used to being in front of the camera and being like responding pe to people dramatically. So uh, as a musical person, I still respond that way. And I think about, you know, the, the background that I used to do for characters, you know, this is, even if I only had two lines, you know, you got to have the backstory. Um, and uh, and when you're writing songs for someone, you, it's the same thing. You need to know, as Ben puts it, what are their wants? What are their aspirations? What are their, um, you know, and then when you know that, then you get into that kind of that that ethereal swirl again of like, how do they chew their food? And what's the rhythm of their gait? And how do they think? And what are they afraid of? And what are they, you know, so all of that is so exciting and like when we wrote the love song we knew it couldn't just be a regular love song it had to be an anti-love song so we wrote i'd never love someone uh, well, speaking of uh of the songs i want to make sure that we get to listen to some of your amazing work uh we previously heard Ginny and georgia of course and now i'm going to play a piece from the marvelous mrs Maisel. this is a number called your personal trash man can call to haul the trash the city trucks won't touch who's got the hard one know-how with things hazardous and such who comes a night staying out of sight and gone by break of day you've got a pile a full square mile who's gonna take it away your personal trash man can he'll come and get your junk your personal trash man can each mattress bunk by bunk Clears out all the evidence you ain't been spick and span Your personal trash man can 
and grease. Take it away, boys, take it away. Feral pets not in your lease. Take it away, boys, take it away. Leaded pipes and plum and paste. Get your gloves, that's medical waste. Take it away, boys, take it away. Take it away, take it away. Boys, we gotta hurry. Your personal trash man can. No job too big or small. Just pay him in cash and bam. No questions asked at all. Who's here to make things disappear? That ain't part of your plan. Your personal trash man. Your pick up the stash man. Your personal trash man can. Okay, first of all, you can't hear them tap dancing on top of trash can lids like they do in this sh- in the show. So you guys got to go to Amazon and watch this episode because it is really fun to see these numbers performed uh, in Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. In the recording, uh, I guess there just was no 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 tap inserted for some reason, but I but I think it's it's a visual spectacle to see them all do this. Um, I just want to talk about first of all. <laughs> the crazy lyrics about this 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 song about being a personal trash man about you know hiding evidence and toxic waste and like everything so what is going on in this song can you guys just explain it to me a little bit sure sure and actually it kind of it's it's interesting listening to lily talk about a character and stuff in our case what we had to work with was the character of the writer of the song uh, this is a show that uh, Midge Maisel ends up having to be in an industrial musical, which if you don't know your music theater history. Uh, during, particularly in the 50s and 60s, some of the best composers of the era, in order to make money, they wrote musicals for big conventions. So they'd write a show about transmissions for Ford or about bathroom products. And so they were these huge, beautifully done Broadway musicals with big talent. And, and big sets and big sets and big costumes. It was huge productions. Insanity. And we've listened to a ton of them. And so what we had to imagine, instead of particular characters, we had to imagine, okay, this writer has been hired by the mafia, basically, to write a song for a, a musical industrial about private demolition and waste management. So they're both trying to show off their razzmatazz entertainment style. But they're also, as I like to think, uh, sending little cries for help that the mafia has me. The mafia, please, someone come get me. Yeah, it was it was really fun with those 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 characters, you know, speaking of characters, because they're so random. And, you know, for us, the hilarious is we knew we knew this was coming. Amy had told us that she was going to, you know, give there was going to be a huge musical episode. But uh, we didn't know what it actually would, was going to be about until about three weeks before we recorded them all. And just to be told, like, oh, by the way, it's about trash. We're like, wait, what, what, what? I mean, it was. This is our big. This is our big moment. We get a whole music about what? Trash. <laughs> about trash. <laughs> it's hilarious, you guys. I watched it, and it was fantastic. I love that you guys uh, were inhabiting uh, the character of the writer of the musical while you yourselves were writing the musical. Yeah. Well, that's that, that. Thank you. That's so kind of you guys to say because that means a lot coming from other writers. Uh, but that was one of the biggest things that Amy said to us is there are three musicals in the show. 
um, there's the trash musical you see most of, but you also see a kitchen appliance musical and you also see a landscaper musical at the beginning. And she wanted each of those three to sound like they've been written by different people. That was her biggest thing. She said, I want to make sure that people know that these are different people writing them. So we had to approach it that way. We had to approach it. I like, I, we joke method writing. We had to sort of like put ourselves into the position of each of the writers and say, okay, who are we? Who's the writer for this? And I, we're, we're old school writers. We're writing sort of like throwback 1950s musicals for the landscapers uh, or the forward thinking 60s ones, like the young Neb or Sondheim or something that's trying to show off. And then for the other one, we were like, okay, these guys are jingle writers. They're pop song guys. They, they write pop songs. They, have, they probably haven't written a lot of musicals. And so their songs sound a little bit more like a commercial and like a pop song. Did you always time. know there was going to be a big dance break in Personal Trash Man? We knew there would probably be dancing. I mean, this is Amy Sherman Palladino, after all, who was a dancer. Um, but we uh, we didn't know what it would be. Um, but she said immediately, even before, she's like, we're going to have people dancing with trash can lids. And that was kind of one of the first, that was part of the first assignment. So we were ecstatic. <laughs> yeah, those are the, sort of the two things we knew going into that particular song. That's really it. Because the scripts are written sort of in conjunction at the same time as we're writing the songs. So there's a lot of back and forth. And uh, we were just told trash men who work for private demolition and waste management, and they're going to tap with uh, lids on their feet. Go. <laughs> and so that's kind of where we start. And at the top of the show, we heard uh, Make My Kitchen Dreams Come True. Now, is that the more pop kind of uh, writer that you guys were embodying? Yes, that yes. was sort of rethinking jingle writer, kind of, you know, getting in there with a, you get, you get right to the hook and it's just as much product. And I mean, Tom has these hilarious alliterations going all the way through that song. It's just, just so delicious on the tongue. It's, and it's also the song where Amy came to us and said, it has to have an oven, a refrigerator, and a butler's pantry. And of course, my lyricist friend goes, what? I have to somehow rhyme with butler's pantry? What are you talking about? So, uh, How I, did you rhyme with butler's pantry? I had to pull a little half rhyme action out of there, but I do a little bit of uh, pantry, can't we? Right, it's in there. It's, I like yeah. that. Yep. So you got you to do what you got to do to make it work. <laughs> Did you have any um, lyrical uh, kind of breakthroughs on Ginny and Georgia? Do you guys were were you struggling on a, on a lyrical moment and you were like, how am I going to rhyme with dungeon or whatever? <laughs> we actually, they gave us a specific word to rhyme with in one of our rounds of notes. We, we, we were very grateful to not receive many notes on these songs. They really liked our approach, which was super fun um, and uh, and wonderful of them and very collaborative. And we had a great time doing it. They did. Um, I'm trying to remember the word. Lily, do you remember the word? It was the Dukes. Now, I'm not going to be able to remember it, but it wasn't that it was the hardest word to rhyme per se. It's just that there were a few other choices. However, being told specifically, can you have it rhyme with this word? You know, I was like, I think we could do it. And so we found a way to do it. We had to dial back some of our lyrics because they found them to uh they, they found them politically incorrect <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, was a, uh, that was the word that we had to find we had to rhyme with the word persuaded yes go on lily yeah we had a couple of uh of lyrics that we that they felt were too like uh were too rapey <laughs> <laughs> um or 
there was one uh can can we just say these uh we might as well right can we say okay so one of them was for marriage as a dungeon we actually there was a, a a verse that was um uh you think you know but you don't know you might be cute right now but time travels fast pretty don't last and the real lyric was you'll be a big fat cow and they made us change that <laughs> uh to uh listen to me now uh, well, is, so you know she's mean but well, it was the villain and yeah. she's singing it to the she's basically it's an admonition to this young ingenue saying uh you know you think you know what you want but this is you know marriage is a done it's, it's it's a shit show you're never gonna it's gonna be you're gonna end up just like me you're gonna be a, a disaster <laughs> um yeah. and it was and i we don't want to you know we're all about body positivity here at Ginny and Georgia. Oh so. yeah, so so they uh, and the creator of the show said, uh, you know, she was afraid that the body shaming would end up uh, eclipsing the song if we left it in. And as much as I was sad to lose the laugh, being the daughter of a comedian, uh, I um, uh, there have been instances where I've been really grateful that that she saved us from ourselves. Was there a moment writing Wellington that was super challenging for you guys where you guys kind of had to keep doing different drafts or, or whatnot? Is there a certain moment like obstacle you had to overcome on it? Mm, uh, back to the word persuaded. Uh, I had one of those walks where I uh, came up with a million different rhymes for that and none of them were right. And I believe... You know, I remember sending Lily, uh, I don't know if they were voice memos or if they were just me horribly singing into a microphone. Um, and uh, she picked the, <laughs> the the least worst one, <laughs> which, which still wasn't, wasn't my first choice, but I, I'm really happy with how the song came out in the end. And now I like everything. Once it, once it prints and you hear it a bunch of times and it imprints on you and now it's inseparable from the rest and it, and it couldn't be any different. Uh, but, but that was a tough one. Uh, persuaded. There's other words that mean that, that are easier to rhyme. That's all I'm going to say. And, and, that that's, uh, and that's from to the dance. That's from the opening, right? Opening um, so uh, yeah, that was what, that was the, the overture to the dance. And then, and uh, yeah. Isn't that what makes it exciting though? I think that, you in we come from the music theater world and you can work on a show for two three four ten years and keep refining and refining and refining and you never know if someone's going to hear it and with with the tv and film score stuff it's so exciting to feel like we've got to do our best in this moment it's going to be ripped out of our hands and there's an excitement in that collaboration and the the energy of like let's let's put on a show right now let's do it and so yeah there's always going to be little things you make compromises but that compromise has the trade-off of all these voices and, and energy coming from so many different people. And th that's something that that we love doing because the team on Maisel is so collaborative. That's a great way to look at that. I, I, I couldn't agree more. I think I think that it really only feels weird in the moments, you know, and that's just the nature of collaboration and compromise, whether it's with your, you know, romantic partner or or with your uh, work colleague or anything like that i mean it's just the, the something is happening in the brain when you're in that discussion in the moment 
you know, where it just feels weird. And then as you acclimate to it, uh, you know, it stops feeling weird. And then by the time it's done, it's like it couldn't be any other way. That's frequently how I feel. What I love about collaborations like this is that it's bigger than anything you do on your own. I mean, it's different. You know, obviously there's a there's a power to a singular vision, but having a, a writing partner and then working with, you know, a collaborative team like, you know, on a show like uh, shows like ours, um, it, it really it uh, the you surrendering to the bigger picture and the bigger muse is very exciting and then it's so it's it's also really exciting uh to know that that many people will hear what you just did uh and you know having been uh, i come from both of my parents were artists and uh kind of on the fringe underground cult people and i've spent years making uh kind of indie rock records that you know sometimes you know were had some success but it was never like I mean uh you know Ginny and Georgia watched for like a billion hours or something like so you know I, I it's really fun to to make music that 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 a lot of people are listening to and then we had the additional thrill of seeing I, I went on TikTok and was uh and <laughs> seeing all these uh these I guess like teenage girls singing marriage is a dungeon. I think they've got like hundreds of millions of streams of the song of these kids doing marriage is a dungeon. Uh, it's hilarious. So well, it's, let, and that's a thrill. I want to, I want to keep playing some music from uh, Wellington as well. So I'm going to play two tracks back to back. It's going to start with an instrumental piece called, uh, Max and Bracia backstage. And then I'm going to go into the song I'd Never Love Someone, Bracia's Ballad. <laughs> Give it. 
Ben, what can you tell me about the song we just heard? What's happening in the story and why does the song feel very like present in the drama of the show? Well, um, we had heard early on that uh, this song would be the underscore of Ginny and Marcus breaking up. And so that's uh, Ginny, uh, like the main will they or won't they romance, heartthrob romance in the show. Um, and knowing that I feel like put a fair amount of pressure on it. I mean, we really had to nail it. Um, and so this is one of our favorite things about the way this musical works in the show is this type of thing, because the song that we wrote, it's relevant to the characters in the musical, but it's also relevant to the characters in the show. Like, uh, and, and, and so it's working on a few different layers there. And, and, and I just love the way that it came out. We were able to use some, little bit more complex harmonic things happening like i think it's that in the within the verse it modulates which is something that i always really liked about this song um and uh we got this amazing performance out of the actress that lily is really uh you know it was really her her hard work uh coaching and mentoring this actress um and getting this fantastic performance from her um anything else to add lily uh, yeah what i liked about it is that it really was the push-pull of wanting to surrender uh, to love, wanting to fall in love, but not wanting to lose yourself. Um, uh, and, you know, and knowing that you're, and it's she's falling for for a bad boy. Uh, I, I, you know, they, they, the truth be told, they didn't really have a direct storyline for the musical. We got to kind of, we had a lot of creative leeway within the show, but we knew that it had to really, uh, the only guideline was, it needs to speak to the breakup of, you know, it needs to further the, the, the character development in both the real, you know, in the, in the show itself and the musical itself. Um, but, uh, and the, the push pull of, you know, knowing that you're not being treated, I, how could I ever, I could never love someone who flirts and then forgets me, um, uh, whose soul, uh, what is it? I, I kind of should know the lyrics, but, but the, you know, who, knowing that you're not being treated right, but wanting to, you know, I, I throw it all away, give into passion's play, uh, immolate this gilded gown. I'd throw away my reputation. If only you would love me like I do you. Uh, so she, but she's this, uh, she's this aristocrat who, who has her whole life set out before her, um, but she wants to feel the passion and, uh, and that those complicated feelings uh, really, I think having lived it, 
<laughs> many times. Uh, you know, what what was so important for me about these songs was that they really touched on real emotions um, and that they that they kind of uh, cracked open your heart a little bit. Um, and I, I feel like we we got there a little bit. It, it, and and it was really fun producing the performance with the actors um, for this song in particular, as Ben said, um, the the actress who plays Bracia, um, Tamika Stevenson, uh, she was a, a talented, you know, she was, she was not really a singer per se. Um, so, and this was a kind of virtuosic song. So getting her to, and it was an, she's the lead of this musical. We had to actually, you know, I had to take her under my wing and give her, uh, try to, uh, I was able to take the, the 20 years of being a solo artist and all the pressure I felt of having to, you know, trying to be perfect and save her all those troubles and sent her to my voice teacher. And I, we, you know, and we, uh, it was, it was like, it was almost therapeutic. <laughs> it's so true though, right? Like it's, it's not, acting and singing and acting are not the same skill at all. Yeah. There are great actors out there who, you know, who then don't just don't sing or they might sing well, but they might be great singing actors. It's a real skill. It's a, and a talent. And, and people take it for granted. They're like, Oh, great. We'll just sing. And it's like, mm, no, there's a, yeah. a lot of examples of that where we can be like, that's terrible. And you're I, so good when you act. I just yeah. know I want to, I want you to work up with me now. Could you please? Know, right? exactly. <laughs> call me. To give us some coaching lessons. Well, call me. I've got lots of tricks that I've collected in my, uh, in my, in my years as a, uh, you know, as a solo artist. So oh yeah, God, I mean, it's really fun to be able to do that. Our trick is to just try to cast amazing singing actors as best we can. We have been so lucky to get, you know, some amazing singers on Maisel that come in and, and, and do that for us. It's been, it's a joy when you do that. And it's awesome that you guys get to do that with your cast, but it's doubly hard when you're, when those are the people that are playing these characters. So now you've got the heavy lift on both sides. Yeah. yeah. The woman who played uh, Max, uh, who sings the lead on Marriage is a Dungeon. She mm -hmm. is, I think, did she have a musical theater background then? So I'm not sure if she's actually performed like on Broadway yet or anything like that, but she absolutely crushed it. Uh, she, she's, like um very very talented singer um and definitely has some theater chops where we were able to communicate to her in the session for marriage is a dungeon like the style of musical theater uh uh character that she was portraying and this is what way before she shot it and i don't even think it was choreographed yet you know there's a, there's a lot of the, she she still had um this was probably her first real uh, introduction to this character was was through this song and um but but she she got it really fast you know and, and she, i think one of the references we gave her was bernadette peters in into the woods who we all love uh, <laughs> um and she uh, she got the perfect amount of like talk singing you know that like i'm sure you guys know all about that uh that some that it just it's just like live to talk sing <laughs> and you get that humor and and i i as a, since i'm not really a vocalist i can't really completely wrap my head around it but people find that perfect little niche in there and that that's always the best feeling when they can find that and be funny and melodic at the same time um i don't know do you guys have any any thoughts about that like when that works how that works 
I mean, being funny and melodic at the same time. I mean, yeah, you, again, I just go back to like getting those great, great singing comedians that can pull that off. It is, it is a challenge and it, it starts a little bit with the, obviously the songwriting, making sure you place all those things at the right place so that those payoffs can really pay off. You know, it's, it's a, it's definitely hard to mix comedy, um, you know, especially in those moments, unless you're planning it from the get go, right? Tom, you know, you think it's like, yeah, it's 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 just like a, a good comedian. It's it's about rhythm. They can sometimes say something that not, isn't inherently funny, but because of the rhythm and the placement, people laugh in the audience because they, it, there's just a rhythm to it. And I think that a good song, a good comedy song, has those those sorts of rhythms that push you toward a drop, push you toward a a, a rhyme that just feels like you've landed somewhere and it's funny. And uh, th that that's a that's a whole structural thing. Uh, well, actually, as uh, growing up with a comedian, I know that the way she, my mom would craft her comedy lines was very much like musical lyrics. I mean, she would, uh, that's why I remember pretty much every joke she ever told because it was, she crafted it. I mean, it was not, it, there was, there was no stray syllable because without the, uh, I'll just tell you one joke, uh, why is it our seemiest rock stars are always the ones that thank God at the award shows, Prince at the Grammys. I like to thank the Lord for helping me to write Lick Me Till I'm Blind. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, Love, lick that. Me till Love I'm that title. Blind. My, that was my mom's joke. Um, and uh, and lick me till I'm blind. It's just a perfect, like. <laughs> it's word choice. It's all, and, and the sound of those words. And, yeah. and the, I mean, that was the joy, like, the, we've gotten to write like more character-based songs in prior seasons, but this was for Maisel, we got to write comedy and we got to write comedy with Amy, who is a master of that sort of stuff. And so we got to go in and like, literally there was, I will never tell anyone which line it is, but there was one line, five syllables that we wrote 40 different versions of it wow. until it just felt right to her and us. And we'd pass things back and forth and just talk about the rhythm of the comedy and what the what words sound funny and did she help write i mean did i mean you know just did, was no, she there with the writing at all she was a partner in terms of showing her drafts and giving smart notes about like a general thought of like yeah i don't think it's gonna i think we want something that hits this kind of tone but she didn't give us lyrics per se it was a lot of um just really smart guidance of what she, what the comedy would be Thank you so much for joining me on Studio Soundtracks only on Double Lab Radio. I wish this episode could go on forever because I'm a big fan of musical theater, as I said at the top of the show. Um, the Marvelous Mrs. Maisel is now streaming on Amazon. Ginny and George is available on Netflix. Go watch both of those shows. They're incredible. You can also find both of their soundtracks and their projects on your streaming platform of choice. So a big thank you to Tom Miser, Curtis Moore, Ben Bromfield, and Lily Hayden for joining me on the show. Thank you so much. Thanks so much, Chandler. Thank you. Thank you. Everything grows, who turns the grind, la la, 
grows.